one book for all generations. Today, though, I want to look at a passage in Acts chapter 2 because, as we said, it's Pentecost. It's the birth date of the church. Now, you know, we say it's the birth date of the church, which, which means... It's when we would, we, most scholars would say the church was officially born because that's when the power of God came upon her to do the mission that she was given. But we also, but we know that there were believers before this time. But essentially what we're talking about, oh, that's driving me nuts. Bear with us. Bear with us. It's going to get better. Um, essentially what happened is, is that God has given a gift to the world through the people of God. The church in the, in the Greek is, is written as ekklesia. The word ekklesia, the called out ones. That means that the people of God are the ones called out of the world to be different. That's why if you look at all the different ways that Jesus speaks of the church, she's salt, she's light. The church is the body of Christ. All of these, this imagery that's given to us as a way of saying that we are God's plan for His mission or His commission. But here's the problem with that. Do you see yourself? I mean, I see myself, but do you see yourself? And, and I'm not trying to be mean, but there, there, there are no real superstars in here according to the world. I mean, none of us have our names in lights. None of us have, have great, great, great acclaim. None of us have, have, have written extensively on subjects. Now, maybe somebody in here at some point will do one of those things. But my point is, we're just like the early disciples. The 12 that Jesus chose were tax collectors and sinners and fishermen and, and the, the, basically the runts of society. And he said, look, in you I've placed all of my eggs... In you, I've, I've given the hope of the responsibility to bring the hope of the world to you. See, it's an impossible task. It's an impossible, impossible mission. And yet God still trusts us to do this. But see, he had a little ace up his sleeve, so to speak. The reason he gave you and me this impossible task was because he had a supernatural gift. See, the church is the gift to the world. We're the ones that Jesus has said, I will make the... My, he, he said of himself, I will make myself famous through you, ordinary people, but my gift to you, ordinary people, is my spirit. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. He gave us a supernatural ability to carry out our calling and our purpose. So, this past week, I went to a blueberry farm. I've forgotten how much work it is to pick blueberries. A whole lot of work for just a little bit of effort. If you've ever been blueberry picking, you know exactly what I mean. So actually, the rest of this week, after we got back, I've been thinking of a way to pick blueberries more efficiently. So far, I have a vacuum hose, an apron, and a fork. And you put all those together, and I think that I have a pretty good plan. I don't know where I'm going to plug the vacuum into, but I'm, I see I'm thinking I'll hold the vacuum up and I'll pick them with the fork and the vacuum will suck them into the hose and then go into my apron. <laughs> Sounds like it's reasonable, right? Anyways, we went blueberry picking. Me and Shannon and the two girls, Sarah and Hannah, and then uh, Saga went with us as well. My son was fishing. He thought that was more important. 
We get to this blueberry farm, and it's an acre of blueberries, a full acre. I believe she said 600 blueberry bushes or trees or whatever they call them. So we scatter out through this place, and we start picking blueberries. After a couple hours, I don't know, hour and a half, what seems like an eternity, we came back and we weighed our blueberries, and we had 27 pounds of blueberries. Apparently, we're overachievers because we're the, we're the highest grossing blueberry family that has ever come. Apparently, that's what she tells us. But they were a dollar a pound. So, right? I mean, come on. Who wouldn't pick 27 pounds? So here's the point. I, I, we, we got home, and, and, I, and I started unloading these blueberries into containers. And, you know, we had some people that we promised blueberries to, so we, I, did, I did their bags, and, you know, my, my, my mom and dad, and you know, we, we did some to, uh, uh, to Saga. He got a little bit, and I'm not sure if, uh, Saga, I think they've probably been scamming on your blueberries, by the way. You should hide those. Um, of course, now everybody knows. And so what was left were these two giant containers of blueberries. Now, I don't know about you, but when we buy blueberries at the store, we don't buy 27 pounds worth. We buy like a pint, right? We buy a container. It's like six bucks for that little dinky container. And so I am a, I am a blueberry uh, cheapo. I know how much they cost, and so I ration them out. Like when Josh wants to do a blueberry smoothie, I'm like, you get three blueberries. Three, I don't care how much ice you put in, but you get three blueberries. Orange juice is the great filler, right? And so when I was looking at these blueberries, I was, I was being chintzy with them. And then I go, wait a minute. What am I doing? I got blueberries. And so I took a whole colander of blueberries and I rinsed them under the faucet and I set them on the counter. They were that thick in there. And I started eating them. Not by the singles, but by the handfuls. Man, I was like the cookie monster. I mean, I, seriously, I'm not joking. I had blueberries. I looked like a chipmunk. I had so many blueberries in my mouth. I was eating them, and here's why. I knew that we had plenty of blueberries. I was not afraid of running out, and so I was going to enjoy what I had. The next day we woke up, and it seems like the pile of blueberries hadn't even been dented. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something that I think is actually a sin. I'm going to put some additive into a pancake. See, I'm a, I'm a pancake snob, purist. Nothing goes in pancakes but pancakes. No nuts, no chocolate chips, no blueberries. You can ask my wife when she says, hey, will you put, pan will you put chocolate chips in my pancakes? Nope. I refuse to do it. I just have a rule. But I got this motivation because I had all, so I took, pan, I took blueberries and I put them in the batter and then I go, I want more. I made such blueberry pancakes that there was more blueberry than pancake. And it was awesome. And I tell you all of this because as I was thinking about this whole process of blueberries, it dawned on me that we treat God, we treat faith, we treat the calling that God has in our life like we treat a pint of blueberries, as if we only can spare a few every now and then, as if we're going to run out, so let's, let's ration them out. It dawned on me that with the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and with the promise of the Holy Spirit to all who will follow Jesus Christ, we have an unlimited, bottomless pit 
source of power from God himself to do everything that he calls us to do. So why in the world are we rationing out our faith? Why in the world are we not charging as far and as long and as fast as we can for the kingdom of God? When we have the power of God that is insurmountable from anything human or fleshly. In Acts chapter 2, we read the story. When the day of Pentecost came, verse 1, they were all together in one place. Now, how many were all together? How many were there? They were all together. So how many were there? Can I hear a number? See, we, we sometimes think just 12, right? We sometimes think well, there, were, there, were, there were 12 disciples, so all 12 disciples were in one place. Well, we actually aren't given a number, but based on what we read here, it's conceivable that there were 120 believers in one place. Why? Because chapter 1 tells us that there were about 120 believers there. 120. Up to 120 were all gathered together in one place. What do you suppose they were doing? And so, basically, you had 50 days past Passover. So, essentially, 50 days past the death of Jesus. Now, what happened in those 50 days? Well, for the first 40 days, you had Jesus appearing on the Sunday, right? And he showed himself to the disciples. But then the Bible says in chapter 1 of, of the book of Acts that for the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to him in various times and places, right? And over 800 people actually saw Jesus during that time. So you have 10 days between that 40 and this time. Now, what do you suppose they were doing for those 10 days? See what I'm saying? Now, how do we know that there were 10 days? Well, because Jesus disappeared for good on the 40th day. And when he did that, he actually did that with a bang. He actually disappeared with a bang. In other words, it was a, it was a one final commission. It was a one final command. In chapter 1, here's what the scripture says. Uh, in verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, So when they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of heaven? Now, why would they ask that? Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom? They asked that because Jesus said in just a few verses before that, that Jesus said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he said, um, they asked, are you going to bring your restore your kingdom when we're baptized? And they said, and Jesus said, no. Well, he said more than it. Basically, he said, no, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to build my kingdom. In... Um, Verse 7, he said, It is not for you to know the times of days the Father has set, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth, or the uttermost parts of the earth. So again, you have the resurrection of Jesus. He showed himself for 40 days. On the end of that 40 days, Jesus said, I'm going to give you the promised gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, so I want you to wait here until he comes. And when he comes... You will have power 
supernatural power to be my messengers to the uttermost parts of the earth. So for ten solid days they met together. And as they met together, again, the original question, what do you suppose they were doing? I suspect they were much like us. Some were just meeting because it was time to meet. Some were meeting because they had this anticipation of the imminent gift of the Holy Spirit. Some were probably meeting but had some complaints. I think maybe Thomas would have been in that category. Well, you know, he said we're supposed to wait, but I ain't waiting forever. Now, can you imagine that hearing that inside that room? I mean, I really can. Just listen to the disciples before Jesus, right? But they were all together. They were waiting. And my suspicion is that they were praying. And they were reading the scripture. And they were singing. And they were worshiping. And they were watching. And they were looking. I think that there was an anticipation, for the most part, that the gift that God was about to give was coming at any time. And it was a surprise to them when it did. Look at the next verse in Acts chapter 2. Verse uh, uh, 2. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing wind, or excuse me, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated on e and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the others, or as the Spirit rather, enabled them. So they were sitting in this room, probably praying, maybe singing, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe listening to a message. And suddenly, out of nowhere, there was this violent, the sound of, of what sounded like a violent rushing wind. I can't even imagine what it would be like except to think about what it sounds like when a tornado is coming through. They say that when a tornado is coming through, it sounds like a freight train, right? Have you all ever experienced that? I mean, I can't even duplicate it. But when you hear that sound, it is a frightening, alarming, alerting sound. So you had this sound, and then they saw what looked like flaming tongues flying through the air, coming to rest on them. Me and my slapstick comedy kind of mentality, kind of making this, thinking, I'm going, whoa. I mean, it's something new, right? It's something strange. Nobody had ever seen flying, flaming tongues before, right? That's, that's not even something you've seen cartoons of, Right? But this was what was happening, and as it was happening, it was God giving to the church the gift that was a make-or-break gift. Meaning, with this, we can be the church. Without this, we cannot. With the Holy Spirit, we can do everything God has commanded us to do. Without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Here's what's strange about this text. This is perhaps one of the most feared, strange, and, and abused texts in all of Scripture. That's my opinion. But from what I've seen, this is one of those texts that we don't know what to do with. you got people on both sides. Over here, people are like, man, that was crazy stuff. We don't want any of that. Guys, we want this. Right? 
Because without this, we have no power. But on the other side, you have these people who go, man, if we don't see flaming tongues, we're not really filled. And so they're looking for the sign rather than the gift. My place in all of this is that the, the, all of the details should not overshadow the purpose. All of the, all of the expression should not overshadow the reason God gave this gift of the church. And that is to make his name famous. Now, if you go back and look in chapter 1, what we have is a command from Jesus right before he's taken up immediately. Uh, in verse 9, the scripture says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Right? So they saw Jesus, he gave them this command to the uttermost parts of the earth, and then he was gone. I imagine that the disciples were asking themselves, how are we going to do this? Now, they're not rich people. Probably some, some of them had some means, maybe the tax collectors did, but if you're a fisherman, you're not raking in the dough, right? Right? As ordinary men, they were probably wondering, I've never been out of Galilee in Jerusalem. I've never gone more than 50 miles from my home. These weren't world travelers, and they didn't have the, the kind of travel that we have today. So when Jesus said, you're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, they might have been thinking, I don't even know where the ends of the earth are. Is. Whatever. I, I, I don't know where it is, and I don't know how to get there. And not only that, I've, I've never been outside 100 miles, let alone 1,000 miles. Here's what God does, though. And I, and I want you to understand this so clearly. God never gives a command to His people. When I say His people, I'm talking collectively as the body. Now listen. God gives us individual commands. He gives us individual callings. We have the opportunity, you know, God has called me to a certain place in a certain time and a certain thing, but my personal calling is never apart from the calling that I have within the body of Christ. Never. If you feel like you are called to something and the church is not a part of it, you are not called to that. You are wrong. Here's why. A body is more than a finger. God never calls you to something alone. Now, having said that, sometimes He gives you the calling and you're to bring the people of God with you, and sometimes that's a struggle. But you get my heart on this. We're not solo warriors. We're not out on our own going, hey, it's just me and Jesus. No. Our, our design is to be the body of Christ. And so he calls us individually, but he calls us as his people. And here's what's cool. Here's why I'm not afraid to say that. Because he might call me here, and you here, and another person here, but he's basically just filling in all the corners. Does that make sense? Let's take this, this part of the stage, for instance. Let's say he calls you right here, and you go, okay, this is, this is my calling. This is where, I've, this is where I am. And then, he, Phil, he calls you right here on this corner, right? You say, okay, I'm, I'm called to this corner. This is who I am. This is what I'm, I'm, I'm made for. And then, he, Aaron, he calls you to this corner right here, and, and you say, this is where God has placed me and called me. And then he calls me over in that corner, 
if we, if we look at our own corners as, you know, this is, this is where God has me, this is mine, and, and I don't really need the church, then we've missed it. We've, we, we're too close. We haven't seen what God is doing. What God just did was cover an entire area. He wasn't just worried about the corners. He was worried about everything in between. And he's making sure that we're spread out in all places so that God can receive the most glory, which means Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, the reason, or excuse me, the the fact that he, he calls us individually, but he calls us as his people, means that when he calls us to something that's impossible... He gives us the equipment we need. That's chapter 1. He equips the believers. And then he gives us the empowerment that we need. He gives us the ability, the strength, the, the fuel. And then he puts right in the midst of us those who he wants us to affect. Here, let's watch this. They probably, I'm just imagining if I were there, what I would have said, Lord, I love the vision. I love it, but I have no clue how to reach the ends of the earth. And Jesus goes, don't worry, I got this. I got a plan. Here's his plan. Verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Well, there you go. Doubting Thomas, who would have said, there's no way we can go to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth were brought to them. What they needed was to open up their eyes and see what God was doing. When they heard this sound, verse 6, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How then can, is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And then it goes through the list. I'm going to read them for you just so you'll know how diverse they really are. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. What was God doing? The believers were in a room. They were there waiting as God had promised. They were waiting for the gift of the Spirit, the empowerment to do the calling they were given. And suddenly, out of nowhere, this violent sound of a rushing wind moved through the place and tongues, what looked like tongues of fire came and rested upon each one of them and they began to speak the gospel in a, in a language they had never heard and never spoken before, never went to school, never gotten the app to learn how to speak it, none of that. They started speaking these foreign languages and it was such a, a, a loud ruckus that the whole city started to gather together saying, this is strange. We're hearing the gospel in Cretan, Phrygian, in Asian, and in Roman, and all of these. I know those aren't languages. But we're hearing it in all these other languages. And as they were hearing the gospel, they were amazed and bewildered. And in that moment, God did, through the church... 
By the way, how many were there? Up to 120. Let us never say we're too small. Let us never say we don't have enough. Let us never say we can't because. Folks, if Jesus has said it, it is settled. As the people of God, we're going to do it. Most of the walk in doing it will probably be like this. But that's okay. Because what they saw was a supernatural move of God. Which is God's plan for the ecclesia, the called out ones. Here's something I don't want you to miss though in this text and then we're done. Some of the people who heard were in awe. Some of the people were amazed and perplexed and they asked one another, what does this mean? What's going on here? Because the gospel was being understood by them and they had never heard it before. And in the last verse, verse 13, others said, they've been sipping in the wine. They were accused of just being a bunch of drunkards. Now that's rather offensive to me. In my flesh anyways. It's, offend, it's offensive to think that I could be doing something for, the, for God, something holy, something right, and then somebody totally misread and misapply my own intentions and accuse me of doing something wrong. That's one of the, that's one of the biggest offenses you could probably uh, commit. To totally uh, mischaracterize somebody's uh, intentions. But do you know what I don't see in here? I don't see anywhere where the disciples have to defend themselves. I don't see anywhere where the disciples feel compelled to, to have... Now, now they, they did explain it. Peter got up and said, hey, we're not drunk. It's early in the morning. But he didn't have to go on this massive defense. He wasn't concerned about his own... Uh, or, or about their own... Um, reputation as much as he was the reputation of God. And my point in this is, is very simple. In order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we must empty us, ourselves of us. So to be filled, we have to be empty. We empty ourselves of things that are our own rights. This is going to be hard. We have rights. But as followers of Jesus, those rights are secondary to love. Our own rights will be trampled upon when we are concerned about the kingdom of God first and foremost. Um... I have an example, but I'm not sure I can use it, so um, give me a second. Just because we can doesn't mean that we should. One of the things that's going on in our country right now is everybody wants to declare their own rights 
there's a whole lot of rights, not a whole lot of love. The called out ones have got to be different. Probably the thing that's most present on our, present on our mind is the, uh, the rioting and the looting and the, the marching and the protesting. Nobody in here knows what it's like to be a cop unless you've been a cop. Their job right now is incredibly difficult. So for us to make judgments on, on being a cop without being a cop is really pretty ignorant. Nobody in here knows what it's like to be a young black man. So for us to make judgments, what it would be like, how they should think, how they should act, really pretty ignorant. You say, yeah, but my rights as an American. Listen, you gave up your rights when you became a follower of Jesus. Amen? You really did. You changed citizenship. You said, I'm now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. My life is no longer my own. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have thoughts. I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to help people understand. I'm not saying that we should be away from public discourse. No, we should be actively engaged in conversation. But I'm saying that we need to tenor our comments and our thinking more towards the kingdom than towards our own personal rights. This is what Jesus meant when he said, and when you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I bring this whole thing up because, folks, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. But we have something that the world needs. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit that will speak life into situations that are situations of death. But we cannot do that if we relegate our comments towards our own rights rather than the kingdom of God. Does this make sense? So I want to encourage you a couple of things. Number one, in regards to the Holy Spirit, if you're born again, God's Spirit lives inside of you. We know this because the first thing that happens when you are born again, you are given a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. And that deposit is the Spirit of God. That's what the Scripture tells us. That means you are baptized in the Spirit. We're not commanded to be baptized in the Spirit. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. When you're born again, you're given the Spirit of God who lives inside of you. But many of us don't live filled with the Spirit. Now, here's the thing. We can very quickly at this moment get all tied up in the terminology and we can get tied up in the, in the timing and we can get tied up in the evidences and all that kind of stuff and, and get sidetracked from the fact of, I don't care how you do it, just be filled. Amen? That makes sense? Because there, there's differing thoughts on this. But here's what I know. As the people of God, we can do nothing apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Fair enough? 
If, if being filled with the Holy Spirit means that you are on your knees praying and asking God uh, uh, to fill you in, in a certain way, God bless you. Go for it. Nothing wrong with that. But if being filled with the Spirit is a daily humble prayer, Lord, empty, I empty myself and I ask you to fill me and I just want to be your hands and I want to be your feet. If that's where you are, God bless you. Do it. The thing we don't want is for us to do ministry or life without His power. Here is another thing. So that's what we want. We want to understand that being filled with the Spirit, God's power inside of us is a necessity. The second thing that is tied on to that is as we are going, we are the ecclesia, we are the called out ones, we are the ones who speak peace and we speak hope and we speak life and we speak the gospel of the kingdom of God. As we do that, we cannot do that if we're saying things that are causing us to go backwards as opposed to forward. Most of us should comment less on things that we are not personally engaged in or have understanding of. Amen? We should say less, not more. That way we save our true voice for things that really matter when it comes to the kingdom of God. Our opinions aren't going to really help many. They're just going to build walls. One of the things at the fire station, what in the world's going on here? One of the things at the fire station is funny because, uh, if you don't know, I'm a volunteer firefighter. So, um, and they know that I'm a, I'm a preacher. So, they're, they're, it's kind of like, you know, they'll say something to look. And I have to be very careful because they assume that I'm going to think or say a certain thing by the nature of me being a preacher. The preacher said that? I mean, I could have said something like, I like vanilla better than chocolate because vanilla is way better. The preacher said that? I mean, it's just these, these silly assumptions on some things. But do you know that that's the case for you too? Because you are who you say you are, there's a different standard. I'm not saying that you have to succumb to that. I'm saying you have to be careful and aware of it. I don't succeed all the time but I'm getting better, I'm getting much better at only fighting about the important stuff, like blueberry pancakes. Does that make sense? I tried to tie that together because I think it's, I think if the early church were here today, the question they would be asking is, how do we, how do we proclaim the gospel in a way that both the liberals and the conservatives will hear. Because in case you don't know, the liberals aren't believers and neither are the conservatives. It's not Christians on one side, Satanists on the other. That's not the way it is, folks. In case you hadn't heard, it's not one race has Jesus, the other race doesn't. It's not one country or one state or one... That's not the way it works, no. There are believers all throughout this world. And when we start lining up on different positions, we're actually causing ourselves to, to go against what God has said rather than for it. That is my prayer for us. 
Let us be filled with the Spirit. Let's let him speak words of life. Oh, by the way, it's an endless stream that never ends. That's what endless means. Amen? I wonder who here today needs to reevaluate your own heart when it comes to the whole issue that's going on in our, in our public sphere right now. Who needs to reevaluate maybe some language or some terminology? Who needs to reevaluate just your own heart condition? Who here needs to just repent of, of, of allowing human circumstances to, to kind of crust our own heart? You know the good news about the gospel? We all have to get to this point of repentance. The good news is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. We come before God and he says, yeah, I knew you were going to do that. And I've been waiting for you to come and repent. Because I've got some shaping on your heart that I need to do. And again, no matter what side you're on, the side of Jesus is the side we need to be on. Father, I pray that you would help us. We live in a day and a time that is incredibly chaotic, that is incredibly confused. Lord, we live in a world where things that are are not called what they are, where things that we've known for centuries are suddenly assumed to be untrue because somebody just says they're untrue. Yet, Father, you've commanded us to be salt and light. You have charged us with giving the gift of eternal life to the world. Lord, we are the bearers of the gospel. We are the, the ones who display the hope that comes through Christ Jesus. Father, my prayer today is that my words will not have been heard, but only what you would have us hear would be heard. Help us in this room to grasp how deep and how wide your love is for every human being, regardless of their color, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their money, no matter what they are. Lord, help us to see differently. Father, help us to be clothed with compassion, filled with joy. Help our words to be seasoned with salt so that they're the right words at the right time. And may we learn to be quiet when our voices will have no help and input to the situation. And Father, do something amazing through us. Do what you want to do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together our, our hymn of invitation. You know, I don't know what God has been speaking to you or what, what He uh, may be calling you to do, but I want to ask you just to be obedient to Him. As we sing this song, and then we'll dismiss.